All right, if you'll open your Bibles, we're in Romans 12. We're in this series that we've been calling Live It, where we are working through Romans 12, which, we began, which began with this encouragement that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to our Lord. And so we've been asking this question, well, what does it look like to live out our faith? And as you go through this chapter, you find one of the most practical sections in all of Scripture on what does Christianity look like in real life? Well, how many of you guys last week watched the Super Bowl? How many of you watched the Super Bowl? It seems like a long time, a long time ago now, doesn't it? Like, Super Bowl was last week? Really? No, that was last month, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I went to two Super Bowl parties. I, I spent the first half at the Kahanix's house and then went the second half, went over to the Bagby's house. I, I would have come to your Super Bowl party except for I, I wasn't invited, but you know, I'm not I'm not bitter, I'm not angry. My therapist says I'm doing well with it right now and everything, but but uh, as I was going to these different Super Bowl parties, I I learned something. I learned that the Super Bowl is really just an excuse. It's an excuse for people to get together, eat lots of food and talk to one another because I, I looked at the rooms and I saw that nobody was really watching the game until the last two minutes. And then they all watched the game and posted all to Facebook about how they're such avid football fans. But what it really was, was it was people getting together, eating good food, talking, laughing, and enjoying the time. And as I was leaving the events, I thought to myself, this was really a good time where the church was just being the church. But then as I was driving away, I also understood, I also realized that, you know what, we didn't have any Bible study. Uh, We didn't sing any hymns. We didn't even take an offering. But it was still just this great time of the church being the church. Well, in verses 3 through 8 of the chapter, Paul talked about the fact that as a church, we are many parts but one body. So within the church, we have different spiritual gifts. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift that you can use in service to God. And you may have several gifts that are part of the, the skill set that God has given you for ministry, but most of us have one dominant gift, and we use these gifts in ministry uh, for Christ. And the Scriptures teach us that even though some of you might be prophets and you're bringing us back to the Word of God, some of you may be encouragers and you're, you're exhorting us to live more godly, and some of you might be, uh, uh, you might have service and you like to do things behind the scene, whatever your gift is, there are many gifts, but we have one body, and we're all valuable within the church and within the way in which God has put us together. Now, one of the most overlooked spiritual gifts within the body that we call the church is the gift of hospitality. And so when we get down to verse 13, Paul brings it out specifically. He says, share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. I'm thinking about writing a book, and the name of the book that I write is going to be The Adventures of Working with Paul Packabush. Uh, he and I have now worked together for about six and a half years. He's a, he's a partner in ministry with me, and throughout these six and a half years, uh, 
he's almost got me killed several times along the way, and I'm not even exaggerating that. I remember one time we were doing mission work down in Port Arthur, Texas, and we were in the roughest neighborhood in Port Arthur. I mean, even the police told us, you need to be really careful in that neighborhood. So we're doing a backyard Bible club for the children that live there. And Paul, before it starts, says, hey, Lash, let's go. Let's invite everybody to backyard Bible club. So we're walking through the doors of this neighborhood, inviting them all to come to Backyard Bible Club. But in the process, Paul invites the drug dealers, and then he invites the prostitutes. And uh, so I'm saying, hey, Paul, do you realize you just invited the, the prostitutes to our children's Backyard Bible Club? And he's like, well, they need Jesus too. And I'm like, okay, I can't argue with that, you know. On another time, we were out in the Pecos Wilderness, and we meet two guys on, you know, on the trail that, that, let's just say they fit the description of Cheech and Chong. You know, they were living in their own little world. And so we're, we're kind of talking to them and I'm thinking, okay, how quickly can I get away from these guys? And Paul's like becoming their best friend. He's, he's uh, teaching them how to get water and he's talking with them. And before you knew it, uh, Jay Horton and some others were sharing Christ with them and they didn't become Christians that day, but it was the most fun witnessing story that I've heard in a long time. They were just like, you guys are beautiful people, man. Y'all are like far out. This is awesome. <laughs> There's not a store that you can go into in Murphy, Texas, where Paul doesn't know half the people that work there. You go into Lowe's, he's like, hold on a second, got to say hi to everybody. And so he starts going around just saying hi to everybody. That's just how he's wired. This is just a, a normal day in the life of Paul. Last Thursday, he comes in and tells me a story. Joanna, his daughter, had turned eight. So he buys her a basketball goal. Well, he's putting it together, and it's not the kind of quality that he would like it to be. So he decides, I'm going to take this back to the store and get her a better quality basketball goal. So he does that. He and Joanna are in his truck, you know, driving down the road, and they see this truck in front of them that's like painted with backyard playscape kind of stuff on the, the whole truck. So you and I, we would just kind of let it go, but in the back of the truck's a basketball goal. So Paul pulls up beside them, roll down the window, hey, 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 gets them to pull over to the side of the street, makes them an offer for the basketball goal. He lowballs them, says, I'll give you 30 bucks for it. They're like, sure, he can't believe it. So uh, they go over to the parking lot. He gets the money out of the bank because he didn't have the money with him. He gets the money out of the bank. Uh, they, they, they decide to load up the basketball goal in his truck, and they decide to give it as a birthday gift to Joanna glass backboard, hydraulic lift. I mean, it's like breakaway rim. It's like a nice basketball goal. And he's telling me this story, and I'm like, this is just a day in the life of this guy. This is just typical story. This is just how, how it works. Now, here's what I, I as, as teacher, as, as leader, as the way that I'm wired, here's what I've had to learn is that his primary gift is hospitality. That's how God has wired him together. That's how he's designed by our Heavenly Father. So as a discipleship minister for Paul, he works from this premise that people need to be comforted, comfortable, they need to be welcomed, they need to be encouraged, they need to feel as though they're enjoying themselves and happy, and then they can open Scripture and they can dive deep in Scripture and really go close together with one another. Now, that's radically different from how a lot of discipleship ministers go because for a lot of discipleship ministers, they're more teachers, and so they think in terms of curriculum and content, and then hospitality is kind of the leftover stuff. In fact, my, my dominant spiritual gift is teaching. I like to take something and break it down, and hopefully you understand it after we've broken it down. But what working with Paul has taught me is that hospitality is just as important in making disciples— as any other gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Hospitality is just as important as leadership. It's just as important as prophecy, exhortation, whatever gift you might have. Hospitality is just as important in that. And, and the Lord can use your gifts, whatever they might be, for His glory. And when Paul says we are one body, but we have many gifts, uh, he meant that. And one of the keys to being a healthy body, to being a healthy church, is that we come to recognize the fact that there are many gifts within the church. And not only do we recognize this, catch this now, we also appreciate those other gifts. You have to grow and mature to the point where you realize not everybody comes at it exactly the way that you do, but within the church, God has equipped us with different personalities and different gifts, and that's a healthy thing. We are many parts, but one body. Over the years, there's been times in my life when I was in need, and people reached out to me, and they cared for me in my need, or they practiced hospitality. I remember my first doctoral seminar, I, I was given an address by the seminary and told, drive here. And so I drive to Germantown, Tennessee. It's night whenever I arrive, I drive into this neighborhood and it's like this really fancy house and, and I didn't grow up in an extravagant community or anything like this. I'd never seen uh, a house like that and I was like, whoa, this thing is huge and it was the right address, and so I go up to the door, and I remember feeling nervous when I knocked on the door because I thought, there's no way they're going to let me in. They're going to call the cops on me, you know, but I knock on the door, and it's the Powell family, and they'd never met me, but they welcomed me into their home, treated me like a son, fed me, gave me a nice room. What we had in common is that we loved the Lord, and they reached out to me in my time of need and practiced hospitality. I'll never forget their Christian hospitality extended towards me. When we came here to Murphy Road back in 2008, uh, we were called to serve here in this church right at the exact same time that the nation's economy tanked. And so we started trying to sell our house in Denison, Texas, right when the housing bubble burst. That was a challenge. For over a year, we drove back and forth. It was 72 miles uh, one way to get here. But we did that because this is where the Lord called us to be. And then we had McKenna, and she was just a newborn baby. And somebody from within the church extended to us generosity, and they made it possible for us to go ahead and get relocated down here even while we were trying to sell our house there in Denison. And I, I cannot express to you how meaningful that is to me and my family that, that somebody from within the congregation is willing to extend hospitality and willing to extend generosity. It is a beautiful thing when God's people care for one another in need and practice hospitality. Now there's a saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And as beautiful as it is when God's people practice hospitality and care for those that are in need. There is a reality that there are people within our society that have a deep disdain for all things Christian. There are even some that uh, would call you a bigot for believing in Christ exclusively or for having traditional views of marriage, sex, and family. They would not want to have anything to do with you simply because of that. If you broaden the scope and look internationally, we have some hassle or disdain perhaps in our country, but internationally there is true persecution. 
Christians in Pakistan, Sudan, Nigeria, India, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, Tanzania, Kazakhstan, Syria. There are recent stories of Christians in those nations that are being uh, mobbed or killed simply because of the fact that they're Christians. When you read the story of Jesus, you find that he was constantly sharing with those in need and he was pursuing hospitality. I mean, the Gospels are full of stories of him healing people. He heals the blind man. He heals the paralytic man. The Gospels full of those stories of Jesus reaching out to people in their need. Now, you may have never thought about this, but the Gospels are also full of stories of Jesus practicing hospitality. Do you remember the first miracle of Jesus? He turned the water into wine, created a real buzz there in the community when he did that. I mean, people took notice of that, you know. He was making the wedding guest feel comfortable. On another occasion, he's preaching. He realizes the people are hungry and tired, and so you have the feeding of the 5,000 where he he met a physical need. I, I never had really put that together, but in Jesus' ministry, he was constantly practicing hospitality. In fact, many of the stories of Jesus revolve around food. Have you ever thought about how many of the stories of Jesus involve food? You know, he goes to the party at Matthew the tax collector. He goes to Simon the leper's house, uh, uh, the, the Last Supper where they're practicing the Passover feast. A lot of those stories that are in the New Testament revolve around hospitality and food. As, as they're going through life, Jesus practiced hospitality. Now, there's a big lesson that we all have to realize. You can feed the masses, and you can walk on water. You can be without sin, and there will still be some people out there that want to crucify you. And so in verse 13, the Scriptures say, reach out to those that are in need, pursue hospitality. But then look at what the Scriptures say in verse 14. The Scriptures say, bless those who persecute you. Bless And do not curse. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, whenever he's really outlining for us this is what it looks like to be a follower of me. This is what Christianity is all about. If you've never read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, I encourage you to do so. The first part of the sermon begins with the section that we call the Beatitudes. And at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, You are blessed. Well, that's wonderful. I'm blessed. Well, when am I blessed? He says, you are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. And then he tells us this, be glad and rejoice. Now, that's not exactly how I outline my Christianity. I'm supposed to realize that I'm blessed even when people are insulting me, have a disdain for me, are talking badly about me, when they don't like my Jesus, I'm still supposed to be blessed. Jesus says, be glad and rejoice. And there's a couple reasons why. Number one, because your reward is great in heaven. There's something more than just this temporal reality that you're living for, so you can be glad even in the face of opposition. And then he says, this is also how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in a long line of people that have, that have faced criticism because 
of their faith in Christ or their faith in God. Later on in the chapter, in verse 43, he says, you have, heard it, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, why are we supposed to pray for those who persecute us? So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing that's out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus says, let's bless those and let's pray for those and love those who persecute us because it creates contrast and it shows that there's something different about us as followers of Christ. So practical question, if you're a follower of Christ, how should Christians react to those that don't like us? Well, we could first of all react by having an angry theology. We can go around and we can yell about how dumb people are and just get really, really mad and become that snarling Christian that is just full of venom and throwing it on everybody all the time. We could develop a fortress theology. We'll retreat into our stained glass monasteries. We'll create holy huddles where it's us four and no more. And every now and then we'll peek out the window and then we'll close it because we exist in our nice, safe stained glass monastery. We can create a fatalistic theology where we limit the love of God and the reach of the cross. And what's going to be is going to happen. And so we just say, well, God's got this. We can't make any difference. So, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. We can create a Howard Wolowitz theology. Some of you know who I'm talking about, a character on TV. He's trying so hard to be cool and accepted by society instead of just being the nerdy scientist that he is. And we can create a theology that says, you know what, as Christians, some people don't like us. They don't get us. They criticize us. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to be so cool that we draw them into the kingdom. We're going to be like Christian Fonzies, just reaching the lost. And so I'll shave my head and get some cool glasses, and I'll wear skinny jeans and learn to play the guitar. And everybody out there is going to say, you know what, you, guys, you Christians are just so cool. I want to become a Christian too. I've never, yet anybody, I've never yet met anybody that says the reason why I became a Christian is because you guys are just so cool. You guys are just so awesome that I just had to be one of you. You can't cool people into the kingdom of God. And yet, yet I, see, I, see, I see Christians trying to do that sometimes. Uh, Jesus taught us, number one, he, he taught us that not everyone is going to like him. Jesus is a polarizing individual. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Have you ever read Jesus' teaching on marriage? He's a polarizing individual. Not everybody likes Jesus. And Jesus said, understand that. Download that. Except they didn't say download back then. But he said, you need to get this. Don't be surprised because it's nothing new. People have always criticized individuals. Noah endured ridicule and loneliness for building the ark. Uh, Abraham and Sarah They were persecuted for infertility. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was accused of rape. He was thrown into jail with no hope of release. Moses endured whining and complaining from a group of people that the Bible calls a stiff-necked people. 
The Bible also calls those people God's chosen people. And yet Moses persevered and was a liberator and a leader amongst them. Ruth endures famine. She has her husband die at a young age. She moves to a new land. Uh, Esther is lied about. Her people are brought to the verge of genocide. David is hunted by King Saul like an animal. His daughter is raped. He is lied about by his son, and his his son tries to overthrow his kingdom. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace because of their faith in God. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den because he prayed to God. Elijah is persecuted by the queen Jezebel. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He was put in stocks and thrown into a cistern. If you read the history of the disciples, legend says that Matthew was killed by the sword. Mark dragged by horses to his death. Luke was hung. John boiled in oil and then sentenced to exile in Patmos. Peter crucified upside down. Andrew crucified. Stephen stoned. Paul and James beheaded. All through the pages of Scripture, you see examples of people uh, treating other people badly and even treating believers in Christ badly for no other reason except for the fact that they are a follower of Christ. So how do we as a Christian, how do we as Christians react when people don't like our Jesus? How, how do we react when people criticize us or even persecute us? Well, the first thing we do is, is be blessed. Romans tells us here, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Jesus said, you are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Came across a story this week, a man by the name of James Phillips, who was a, he was a Walmart greeter. And he got in trouble at work. And the reason he got in trouble at work is because when people were coming and leaving the Walmart, he would tell them, have a blessed day. And somebody complained about that because, I don't know, I mean, it's not a spiritual statement. You know, every, blessed is just a, a word, and he would say that. But somebody complained about that, and he got in trouble at work. He almost got fired, except for I think the community rallied around him and, and saved his job. There's going to be angry people in the world. And, and realize this as well, um, hurt people hurt people. There's a lot of people that have a lot of anger. And a lot of times that anger uh, is connected to something that's happened in their life. Somehow they, they feel like they were done wrong. Somehow there was a loss. And so anger took up residence in their soul. And if you don't evict anger, if you allow it to just live within you, If it becomes comfortable in you, eventually it starts morphing into bitterness. It grows these deep roots within you. And when you become a bitter person, you go around and you literally spray the anger on everybody that you come in contact with. And what's interesting about people who have reached that stage of bitterness is they usually don't even know it. Everybody else knows it, but they have no clue. But if you trace it back, you normally find something happened to them. They had a hurt, and then anger began to wrap its tentacles around them and and, and achieved dominance within their life. The reality is, though, that everybody desires blessing. Everybody wants to be blessed. So how do you find deep blessing? How do you find that deep 
sense of contentment, that deep sense of blessing. Maybe we find it through security. So we'll build a fortress around our home so that nobody can get close to us and we'll find blessing through our security. Or we will work really hard so that we have plenty of money and there's no way that anybody can ever take away our food, water, and shelter. And then we have security and once we get there, then we'll have blessing. Maybe we'll find blessing through having a purpose, and so we'll follow our inner light, and we'll find our place in the world, and once we do that, then we'll have this deep sense of blessing. Maybe we'll find blessing through strength, and so we'll find the power to get beyond ourselves and beyond our past and to make a difference in the world around us, and then we'll have deep blessing. Maybe we'll find blessing through love, and we'll have people in our lives that we can truly trust and people that we can live life with that care about us and will always be there for us and then we'll have blessing. I want you to get this, that your relationship with God brings you all four of these things. Through our faith in God, we have a security. I believe that God is real, that he is sovereign, that he's in control. And because of that, even though there are so many things that are beyond our reach in life, there is nothing that is beyond God's sovereign reach in life. And so there's a security that even though you may have instability in your world, God is still in control and you can trust and put your faith in him. Through our faith in God, we have a singleness of purpose. And this is huge. What is that one thing that becomes the overarching purpose within everything in your life? As Christians, we have that one single-minded purpose. I want to honor God. So I want to honor God in my business. I want to honor God in my finances. I want to honor God in my marriage. If I have children in my parenting, in whatever avenue that I'm in, I want to honor God through my actions, through my attitudes, through my speech. Everything that I do has a singleness of purpose that I want to do it in such a way that it honors God. As Christians, we have a strength because we have forgiveness for our past. We have meaning in our present and hope for our future. We have a strength that allows us to get beyond ourselves. We don't have to spend all of our energies clawing for these things that are really temporal if you think about it. Instead, we have a strength that allows us to get beyond ourselves and love our, love our neighbor and care about people. As Christians, we have a love because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're a part of a family. Even if you didn't have any healthy relationships growing up and you don't have any models of what love is supposed to look like, as God clusters Christians together into churches, we begin to see this is what love is supposed to look like. These are models for us to hang on to. And we begin to realize that there can be true loving relationships in our life where people love us unconditionally and they walk through life with us and they care about us through our ups and downs of life. As a believer in Christ, it is possible for you to have that deep blessing in your soul that transcends the criticisms and transcends the challenges that are constantly being thrown your way. Secondly, I want to encourage you to refuse to wallow in negativity. There are always going to be things that are imperfect in this world that is waiting to be liberated by our God. And so there's always going to be imperfections and things that we don't understand and, and bad perspective. There will always be bad drivers. There will always be those people that are texting when the light turns green 
that drive you crazy. There's always going to be criminals. There's going to be crazy thinkers. There's going to be atheists. There's going to be individuals that try to suppress truth. There's going to be people with poor grammar. There's going to be people with poor fashion, with poor manners, with poor perspective. Those things will always be. And thanks to communications, it is possible for you to spend 24-7 wallowing in negativity. This generation that we're in right now has more opportunity than any generation that has ever lived to be the most critical negative generation alive. You can be more negative than you already are. It is possible for your life to find deeper misery than you already embrace. Because of our mobilization, because we're connected to people constantly, you can be as negative as you want to be, and you have platforms where 500, 1,000 people can hear all your negativity, and because they too have a sin nature, guess what? They'll join into your negativity, and through Instagram and Twitter and Yelp and all these different vehicles, God has given us an unprecedented opportunity to be negative. But let me encourage you to go against the flow. Stay above the fray. Realize how blessed you are. You don't need to wallow in the negativity. And then thirdly, be a blessing to others. Be a blessing to others. You've got to to get this fact that not everybody's going to like you. And not everybody likes Jesus. And you've got to get the fact that not everybody's going to embrace the Christianity that you love so much, but never abandon the reality that Christianity comes down to really three simple callings. Love God, love one another, and love others. I have a sermon that I preached not long ago called Christianity Simplified. God calls us to love Him with all of our being, to place our faith faith in Him, to, to love God. The call of the gospel is not a call to just be a better you and a behavior modification. The call of the gospel is a call to your heart, that your heart will be transformed by the love of God and what He has done for us. And so He calls us to love God with the totality of ourselves and then to love the one and others in our life. If you look in the New Testament, there's command after command that we are to something one another. And they can all be summed up by the reality that we are to love one another. So who are the one another's that are in your life? It might be your family, it might be your friends, your church. But as Christians, we are called to love those one another's and not neglect them, ignore them, or take them for granted. We love the one another's in our lives. And then thirdly, we love others. We love our neighbor. We love people that are different than we are. We love people that might speak a different language, have a different skin tone. We come from a different culture. We love people that might not yet love Jesus, but we love them because we're called to love one another and we're called to love others. That's what being a Christian is all about. You love God, you love one another, and you love others, and you live your life with your faith in God through Christ. He's a simple man. He's now in his 80s. I met him whenever I was 27. Small guy, isn't imposing when he walks in a room. He's married to a wonderfully sweet lady by the name of Jane. They have two grown children. His name is Don. He's one of my heroes in the faith. He's one of the most positive men I've ever been around. He's one of the most encouraging men I've ever been around. A true gentleman and a true genuine person. And the reason why he is a hero of the faith to me is because every time I have spent time with him, there's just something that he possesses that I want. It's not a thing. It's something within him. 
There's a living water that flows within him that draws me to the cross instead of pushing me away from the cross. And there's some, it's hard to put your finger on it, but whenever you talk to him, you think, when I grow up, that's who I want to be. He's a blessing. He's a true blessing to people. You would, you would never guess that he and Jane spent their adult lives in Guatemala. Through their ministry, thousands of Keche Indians came to know Christ. I believe 60, 70 churches were planted there in, in Guatemala. You would never guess that his life had been used in such a dynamic way. And I, I would listen to him as he would pray, and he would, he would weep pe- for people that, that came from a different culture, that had different skin tone, that spoke a different language, and yet he, he would weep for them, and he would long to go back to those villages and be a blessing. And he would even tell me how whenever he was there, uh, they faced real persecution. There were times where the, where the, the natives would tell him, okay, uh, Pastor, put your head down and get under the tarp because we don't want you to get shot. That was his life, yet he did it gratefully and willingly because that was also his calling. As he got older, he came back to the States, and for the past 16 years, his ministry has involved encouraging three young pastors, myself included, pastors at Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, He's one of those older guys that whenever I met him, he knows more theology. Uh, he has more theology in his little finger than I have in my whole mind. And yet he'd put his arm around me, he'd encourage me. Uh, he'd always try to help and be a blessing. Week after week, he teaches the senior adult Bible study at Millwood Baptist Church. You will not read about him in Time Magazine. He'll never be named the person of the year. Uh, he, he has never been on television speaking to the masses, yet he is one of the most godly Christian men I know because he spent his life realizing how blessed he is and he was a blessing to others. And God has used the simple lives of people like Don and Jane to affect untold thousands. You have one life to live. I implore you, don't waste it. You are loved by your heavenly Father. And he has designed you, and he has equipped you, and he has given you gifts to be used into his kingdom, to be invested into his kingdom. Don't waste those gifts. Love the Lord your God. Love the one another's that he's put across your path. And love other people. Use your life to be a blessing. Use your life to make a difference. Use your life for the glory of our Father. Would you stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? And the musicians are going to come. I'll be here at the front. If I can pray with you about anything, it's always my joy to do so. If today you're desiring to make a decision to become a Christian, I would love to talk with you more about that. Um, the musicians will lead us in a hymn, and I encourage you to sing with them and, and uh, just really have a time of worship with your Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and we pray that uh, we will we'll reach out to others and try to meet them at their point of need. And I pray, Lord, that we will pursue hospitality. And I pray, Father, that as a church, you'll help us to realize that we are many parts but one body. And may we understand that and not just understand it, but may we appreciate that. And may we begin to realize that, that you bring us together as a church from different backgrounds, different life stages, 
and you connect this together through the cross, and you make a body out of this collection of believers that can do great things for you. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to realize, just to get a glimpse of how blessed we are. Help us, Father, to realize that you have changed us from the inside out and that we have a blessing that transcends everything that life can throw at us. And there's so much of life that is beyond our control, but nothing is beyond your sovereign reach. And so may we find faith and strength and security in that. And Lord, help us to love you. Help us to love our one another's. And help us to love others. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.